you stand as I read it today and just follow along? New International Version of the Scriptures. Then David, then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of stone and marble. All these in large quantities. Because in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasure of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the families of the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds and the officials in charge of the king's work gave how? And they gave toward the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold and 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. And those who had precious stones gave to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel, the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced at the willing response of their, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. Amen. You may be seated. In the presence of our great and wonderful God. Amen. 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 I'm going to need your help today because we have three services each Sunday. And we must transition so that the next service can get in. So if you'll say amen, I think I can get to the point. Amen. 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 We are starting a series of messages um, entitled Giving is Sticky, Creating a Culture of generosity. Giving is sticky, creating a culture of generosity. And we hope that God will do more in our lives and just help us to give an offering, but help us to become more generous people. You know, everything that we know about God speaks to his generosity. Even the fact that God created us in his image speaks to his generosity. How good God is. God could have created us in the image of a pit bull or a kangaroo could have created us in the image of a cockroach or a cactus, but God created us in his image. Won't you say thank you, Jesus? <laughs> Hallelujah. God created us in his image. Everything, when we speak the word, the name of God, it talks about his generosity. Psalm 103 verse 1 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and who crowns you with love and compassion and who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. That speaks to the generosity 
of God. God is a generous God and he expects his children who are made in his image to be generous also. Generosity is the fuel of any advancement. If you want to get ahead, if you want to move forward, if you want improvement, it's going to be built on a foundation of generosity. Stingy people, somebody say stingy people. Stingy people can make a dollar, but they cannot make a contribution because their hearts have become so hardened that it hardens their hands. And when your heart and hands get hard, you won't give to the glory of God. God wants us to do more than make a dollar. He wants us to make a contribution. And 1 Chronicles chapter 29 records the end of King David's life. And the last chapter of this book begins with these words, furthermore, David the king, furthermore, David the king. And so it's great to get at the end of the chapter of your life and somebody can say furthermore. That means that you've done something already. Somebody say amen. You've already done something and at the end you want to go further than you've already done, come and you want to do more than you've already done. So David, it says furthermore, he is uh, getting ready to do something. Furthermore, David the king. And so in, in other words, David, David did more in his life than just stay out in a pasture and keep some sheep. Yeah, David did more than just kill Goliath. He did more than unite the 12 tribes of Israel. He did more than just become the king. Here it says, furthermore, he wants to, to do more. You see, everybody, everybody ought to have somewhere in their heart a burning desire to do something great for God before you leave here. It ought not be you just want to live here, die, get a tombstone with your name on it. Amen. You ought to have a desire to do something great for God before you leave this earth. Am I right about that? Ought to have a burning desire. Something ought to keep you up at night sometime. Ought to be something every now and then make you turn the television off because a burning desire in you to do something great for God. David wanted to do something great for God. His Psalms tell us that he wanted to do something great for God. We usually quote it when we're in distress, when we feel defeated, but not David. David's uh, what we've come to know as his favorite psalm, the 23rd psalm, is not a psalm of defeat, it's not a psalm of distress, but it is a psalm of victory. Listen to David. David saying, I cannot be defeated because the God who created the heavens and the earth and who in every way always expresses his generosity to me is on my side. It's one thing to have the government on your side. It's one thing to have the politicians and family, but it's another thing to have the God who put the stars in place and the fish in the sea and the birds in the air who owns all the cattle on the thousand hill and all of the silver and the gold is his. It's another thing to have him on your side. No wonder David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What would have happened to me if the Lord had not been on my side? And when, when David talks in Psalm 23, listen, he's not talking about defeat. He's not sad. He's not crying. He's not pulling the Kleenex out the box. He's not wiping away any tears. He doesn't have any blues music on. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. That is an affirmation of victory. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I don't want to do right, he grabs me and takes me in the right direction. I end up in the right place, not because of my goodness, but because of his guidance. Yes, though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death. Guess what? I will fear no evil because thou art with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And guess what? My cup runs over. Ah, now this is not a psalm of defeat. He's not crying. He's not wiping the tears out of his eyes. And he says, surely, if you want to know what the truth is, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. It might look like I'm struggling, but look behind me. My blessing is coming. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house, oh, hallelujah, of the Lord forever. Why? Because God is a generous God. He's a generous God. And so here we have David. David has done more than kill Goliath and leave behind a catalog of 150 songs. David leaves behind a culture of generosity. Yes, that's what he does. He leaves behind a culture of generosity. And you know, wherever you find philanthropy, you find the descendants of David. Wherever you find people giving generously and, and in large gifts, you will find Jewish people. Don't y'all get quiet on me. Yes, you do. Whenever you find people giving generously towards uh, libraries and schools and hospitals, Hospitals, you will find Jewish people there. Culture, he leaves a culture, leaves a culture of generosity. Chris Willard notes, he says, I've seen generous pastors without generous churches. But you cannot have a generous church without a generous pastor. Indeed, he says, generous giving should be a a characteristic of the entire leadership team. He says, "Now, now, look at this, look at this text quickly and let us see if we can discern how David developed a culture of generosity. Get your worksheets out, amen, so you can take your notes and get ready for your growth group class. Number one, David assessed the work and described it as great. David assessed the work and described it as great. When you read verse one, David says, this is a great work that we are engaging in. In other words, if you want to create a culture of generosity, you've got to believe that what you are doing is a great work. Somebody say amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10 says this, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Amen. Whatever you do, do it with all your might. David believed in God and he believed that he should build a temple for God. He believed that the God who provided and protected him should be worshipped. He believed that building the temple was not a trivial activity, but it was a great work. Generosity always follows great ideas. Somebody say amen. In other words, the temple that David wanted to build was not just some little house on the side of the street. No, he wanted to build a grand house for the Lord. And generosity always precedes greatness. If you want to do something great, generosity must precede it. Secondly, David actually, somebody say actually, David actually invested 
in the vision. I have seen people who have been able to cast vision, talk about vision, print up flyers, booklets, and pamphlets to communicate the vision, build a website. But when it comes time to giving to the vision, y'all are quiet, but I know I'm right. When it comes time to giving to the vision, you can't find them. But David didn't just cast the vision, Sister Flowers, but he also personally and actually invested in the vision. David, look at this, look at this. I need you to see this. David designed the plans for the temple, but was not permitted to build the temple. Uh, God would not grant David permission to build the temple. Check this out. Not only could he not build the temple, which was his heart's desire, he would never actually even enter the temple. David would never even see the temple. It would never personally benefit him. But because it would not personally, y'all are quiet, but because it would not personally benefit him, it did not prevent him from investing in the temple. You see, a culture of generosity does not ask the question, how is it going to help me? A culture of generosity asks the question, how will it help? I wish I had some help. How will it help? And if it will help others, even if it does not help me count me in. That is the attitude of generosity. Notice verse 2 and verse 3 where David is not going to ever see the temple, worship in the temple. He's never going to participate in the building of the temple. But in verse 2 he says, with all of my resources I have provided for the temple of my God gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and onyx and turquoise and stones of various colors. And then he says, and provide, and besides all of this, I have provided out of my personal resources uh, treasures for the temple of the Lord. Now notice, notice, and I, and I want you to kind of note and remember who David is. You see, David is the author of most of the Psalms. Am I right about that? See, David is who we would call in the Bible, he is the pioneer of intercessory prayer. As a matter of fact, if you had to pick somebody in the Bible to pray for you, I would recommend, I, I mean, you, to pick David would not be a bad pick. Am I right about that? Because one thing we know about David, David could show enough pray. He could kill lions, he could kill bears, he could kill giants, but what he did best, he could pray. He left, left us 150 indications that he knew how to talk to God. But look at here, the pioneer, the, the, the architect of intercessory prayer does not, does not, he's a, he's a prayer warrior, but he did not attempt to pray a temple in place. Oh, y'all not with me here. He did not attempt to pray down a temple from heaven. You know, it's interesting how we function. We will call prayer meeting after prayer meeting. We'll have all night prayer visuals asking God to help us build a place, to help us build a place. But he did not have one prayer meeting. To be, as a matter of fact, when you read the scriptures, there are no words of prayer. Prior to the building of the temple, two times we see prayer. We see prayer after the resources are gathered, and we see prayer after the temple is built. Now, what we have a habit of doing is praying without paying. We want to pray, but not pay. David knew that prayer would not put a temple on the mount just like prayer won't put gas in your car. 
If you're going to get gas in your car, you've got to go to the pump and put the pump in the tank and squeeze the knob. Am I right about that? We pray in order to build. What David did, what David did, David paid so he could pray. Are you with me? In other words, David said, I need, we need to have a place of prayer. Jesus sort of clarified what God's house is all about. All the activities taking place in here, that's wonderful. We thank God for the tutoring, the karate. We thank God for all of the dancers and the, and the music ministry. But most of all, if you can't find anything in God's house, you should be able to find some praying people. I wish I had some help. I, I, you know, all the ministries may not be able to finance the ministry, but guess what? There's one ministry you don't need finance for. That's called the ministry of prayer. And the most powerful ministry that we have is still the ministry of prayer. As a matter of fact, if the ship goes down, the last thing should stop. when We go down praying. Am I right about that? My house, Jesus said, should be called a house of prayer. And so David gave generously towards a temple that he would never personally experience or benefit from. And after setting the example, David makes an appeal after demonstrating his commitment. David makes an appeal after demonstrating his commitment. Verse 5 says this, now who is willing to consecrate himself to the work of the Lord? This word consecrate, and I just want to give you all an advance notice, March 9th, Lent begins. Amen. Consecrate. This word consecrate is the same word that is used in Exodus chapter 28, verse 41, when Moses was instructed to consecrate Aaron and his sons to the priesthood. It is the same word that is used in Exodus chapter 29, verse 37, when Moses is commanded to consecrate the altar. And Moses was commanded to consecrate the altar to the extent that whoever touched the altar would become holy from touching the altar. You see, when we are consecrated by God, God wants us to be consecrated in such a way that whoever comes in contact with our life will also be blessed because they came in. I wish I had some help. They come because they came in, con- in contact with us. You're not consecrated to separate. You're consecrated for contact. You're consecrated so that somebody might rub up against you and see you and somehow their life is changed because of the consecration that God has done in your life. Which is to say verse 5, David says, who will consecrate themselves? He's not asking who will simply pray, who will somehow conjure up some morality for a moment. He's asking who will consecrate themselves. Now I want you to notice that that giving and consecration go hand in hand. Yes, it does. In other words, if you are going to be a generous person, it's going to require some consecration of your life. Amen. In other words, if you want to create a culture of generosity, you also have to create a culture of consecration. Oh, yes, who will consecrate themselves? Consecration requires prayer because the work of consecration can never take place 
place unless God moves upon the object that is to be consecrated. In other words, I know you're holy and you know a lot of scripture and you anoint with oil with a whole lot of dexterity. But your skills and your knowledge and your morality will never consecrate you. Except God move on your life. Except God touch you. You see, consecration is a divine act. It's when God takes an object, a person, and God places his hand, his hand, and his presence, and his power on the person. And I'm changed not because I made such an effort, but I'm changed because God did a work in me. Even God God consecrates even when I'm messing up. God consecrates even when my mind's not right. God consecrates uh, when even when I'm failing and shifting in my commitments. I just need to be willing and yielding myself to God. So David said, who is willing? Who is willing? He didn't say who's right. He didn't say who had it all together. Who is willing? Who's willing to consecrate themselves today? And notice what happens. Notice what happens. Verse 6 through 8. The leaders appreciated the opportunity to give. Now, this is a strange church. The leaders got happy when they heard about the opportunity to give. Oh, they didn't say, oh, no, here we go again. No, 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 no. When you go create, when you, listen, listen, listen. I, I need, I need, I need, I need all, all ministers, all title folks, all deacons, all elders, bishops, evangelists, cardinals, popes, potentates. I need all the ministry leaders. I need all the pastors. I need the secretaries, the team leaders, the maintenance people, ushers. I need everybody, everybody who leads somebody to underline this verse in your Bible. Now, I know some of you are slick now. You got a little more, you're a little high on the pay grade. You don't have a Bible that accommodates a highlighter anymore. Yeah, I, I know you got a digital Bible. Well, bookmark it. Yeah, bookmark it on your digital Bible. Yeah, bookmark this, bookmark this, and post this on your Twitter page and tweet this to somebody. Yeah, because you need to tell them that over at the Fountain of New Life, we're not just trying to give an offering. We're trying to build a culture of generosity. Look what happened when David made the appeal. He said the leaders of the families of officers and tribes and the commanders of thousands. But it was the leaders of the families and the officers and all of those who led. It says they gave to the king's work willingly. Willingly. Listen, the primary or a primary characteristic of great leadership is enthusiastic generosity. Yeah, we look for people who can talk and speak and hold microphones and stand up and be impressive in public. But that's not a primary characteristic. You, a primary characteristic of, of great leadership is enthusiastic generosity. And so we want to learn how to give and give generously and cheerfully. Notice in verse 9 it says, the people were full. This is in the message translation. The people were full of a sense of celebration. All that giving, they said, all giving willingly and freely. And King David was exuberant. The people didn't get excited until the leaders demonstrated commitment. Somebody just say amen. In other words, people always look to the leaders for their cue. A culture of generosity is built on the gifts of generous leaders. 
And if leaders fail to demonstrate generosity through enthusiastic giving, the people will not give. And a culture of generosity cannot be created. Generosity, my brothers and sisters, is not an act. Generosity is not a one-time gift, no matter how large it is. When we speak of generosity, generosity means that we have an attitude and a lifestyle of giving. And we give until we have accomplished what God has consecrated us for. Generosity, generous leaders, generous leaders for your worksheet, generous leaders acquire great influence. Generous leaders acquire great influence. My son serves on a board, and he says on the board in which he serves, there's a guy on the board who is usually very distracted in the board meeting. So he talks out of turn. He talks off agenda. Many times while the board meeting is going on, he'll get on his cell phone and talk on his cell phone while they're trying to get through the board meeting. You all know people like that, right? You're supposed to be in a meeting together and somebody else is on the cell phone. Say the guy will, will disrupt the meeting because he's not engaged fully. It doesn't seem to be fully engaged. And so one day they were given the report. The director said that we're going to have to close the camps in the city this summer because we have a shortfall. And so the guy said, we have a shortfall. What kind of shortfall do we have? We can't close the camps of the city. That's why we're here, so that we have programs for the children. He said, well, we're going to have to close the camps because we have a $250,000 shortfall. The guy takes out his pen and his checkbook, and he writes a check right there on the spot for $125,000. This is the distracted, disengaged, on the cell phone talking guy. Secondly, he takes his cell phone out of his pocket and he calls up a friend of his and says, listen, they're getting ready to close the camps for the summer. I need you to send $100,000 to my office today to keep these camps open. The friend on the other end of the phone said, my check will be on your desk this afternoon. He hangs up his phone and he looks at his board. He said, I have just raised $225,000. Do you think the rest of you can get the rest of the $25,000 for the camps? What do you think they did? Discuss the agenda? What they did was forgot about the agenda and they got the other $25,000 and the camp stayed open in the summer and kids were blessed because somebody set the example, not by discussing the issue, somebody demonstrated generosity and generosity influenced everybody else to step up to the plate. Yeah, he didn't say, oh, here we go again. He said, here's another opportunity to do something great. For God. You know something, my brothers and sisters? Let me tell you something. God absolutely blesses generosity. I'm not talking about might bless. If you want to be blessed, if you want to do more than say I'm blessed and highly favored, some of us just quoting that. But if you really want to be blessed, be generous. I was in church, in church one time, the story goes of the uh, it was time for the offering. A little girl was sitting in, the, in, the, in, in, her, in her seat. The ushers were passing the offering tray, and when the offering tray comes to the little girl, she takes the offering tray and puts, puts it on the floor. Minister Lash, she puts it on the floor, and then she steps out of her seat, and she stands on top of the offering plate. The ushers, and you know, you know, ushers, 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 ushers will get you in line if you step out of line. And so the usher came, hey, baby, 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 what's wrong? Why are you standing on the offering, why are you doing that? The little girl says, because they told me in class that God wants me to give 
myself totally to him. And so I'm just trying to offer myself to the God that they taught me about in class. You see, oftentimes what gets us so tied up and what messes up our generosity is that we're focusing on what's in our pocket rather than focusing on what's in our heart. And you see, if we would just sometimes, God, today I'm putting myself on the altar. I'm offering myself to you. And guess what? When you give yourself to God, you don't have to worry about your checkbook. You don't have to worry about your wallet. You don't have to worry about what's in your pocket because when you give yourself to God, God has more than enough to keep you supplied with what you need. So she totally surrendered. Well, you know, Jesus demonstrates his generosity to us all the time. You know, sometimes we don't think about it. We don't think it's the generosity of God. But think about the food you eat. Come on now. Uh, the food you eat. I, I, know, I know it seems like you go to your job and you cash a check and you just rub your little uh, ATM card. But you, when you eat your food, that is simply an indication of the generosity of God. When you have the opportunity to go in your closet and select some clothing to put on your back, that is just a symbol of the generosity of God. When you get in your car and you turn the ignition or you press the button, come on now, and your car starts up and you go and come wherever it is you want to go, it's not because you're so good. It's because God is so generous. When you come out of the doctor's office, even if you have a little something-something going on and you got to get a few pills, but you still got some health left, the health that you have is nothing but an indication of the generosity of God. And you know, because God has been so good, God wants his children to be generous just like him. But the food that we eat and the clothes that we wear and the cars that we ride in is not the ultimate symbol of God's generosity. One day, just like that little girl stood on that offering plate, Jesus got up on a cross. I wish I had some help. He got up on a cross and he got up on a cross and guess what while he was on the cross out of his generosity he paid somebody say paid for I'm not just talking about he died for but he paid for I heard Paul say one time we are bought with a price not brought with a price we are bought with a price he paid for all of my sins I don't know that that does that, that does not mean much to you now that you got your hair fixed and you got your nails did and you got your toes done but I tell you if you just turn the clock back a little bit you can remember you once was lost in sin but Jesus took you in and then a little light from heaven filled your soul he bathed your heart with love and he wrote your name above and just a little talk with Jesus made you whole Jesus paid for all of our sins when he hung on the cross. Guess what? Every sin was covered. Every sin was paid for. You don't believe he paid for it? I know when you read in your English Bible, you hear the last words of Jesus is this. It is finished. But if you would have been standing at the cross that day, and if you would have been a Jew 
in the first century. And if you spoke Aramaic, you would have understand that that's the same thing that they say in the marketplace when the fish that you bought was paid for. When you're totally paid, when you're totally paid for, they said to tell us pay in full. What Jesus said after every lie was covered, after every theft was covered, after every lust was covered, Jesus said paid in full. It's covered. It's paid for. Paid in full. And he does it out of the abundance of his love, his generosity. Because he's so generous. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because he's so generous. He invites us to participate in the culture of generosity that he's left as a legacy for the people of God. Won't you clap your hands? Hallelujah.